Welcome to the second half of our discussion about IDN customer management strategies with Michael Hillen from Drivetrain Learning. In the first half, we discussed organizational strategies, and in this half, Michael will share some key learnings around engaging with a range of individuals and roles within these complex customer organizations. You had mentioned um, earlier time we spoke about your concept of the three pillars. Yeah. How would that play into informing a manufacturer's approach to dealing with IDNs? Great question, Lee. And the, the three pillars that we've talked about before, and I'll, I'll share quickly here, are basically our drivetrain learning three major competencies that we like organizations to follow. When they're developing account managers, when they're putting in place competency models, and they're setting forth expectations for those roles. And they're fairly simple. One is just the science of healthcare. There's a ticket to the dance, so to speak. You just need to know the clinical side of the business, what what your product does, the disease it treats, the general package insert highlights, the marketplace, what who else is in that market basket from a competitive standpoint. Uh, And then what are the outcomes for patients that the organization you're calling on or seeking and how your product can support that. So from a patient health outcome, what does it look like from that account's perspective and how can you support it? That's one. Number two is what I'll call the business of healthcare. That's all of the things going on around the organization from a financial standpoint, from an influence and competitive standpoint for them, not the pharma company's competitors, but the competitors of that IDN or system. So who else is in the market that they're competing with for employers or for individual enrollees, for unions and any other type of business, for provider networks, for pharmacy networks? I mean, think of all the interconnections these organizations have. They're competing with other entities that are like them, all toward gaining those reimbursement dollars from either the commercial or the public payers. So that's the second one. So there's a ton of content in that bucket alone. And it's the flow of the dollar. It's the flow of the vial. It's how things work from manufacture through distribution and to the end user ultimately, and then how it's paid for, and ultimately the impact on the patient. And then the third bucket is all about engagement. How do you actually meet with that customer? How do you prepare for it? How do you plan with them and around them, for them? How do you strategically uh, align to them? How do you advance the needs you have and get them to care about those needs while you also find ways to care about what they care about? So it's that some of those joint planning sessions, doing SWOT analyses, doing some opportunity analyses, certainly a, a whole host of, of skills and tools around stakeholder management and understanding, you know, as you talked earlier about the complexities here and all these different departments, it's really important to be able to navigate around from one team to the next and to not just stand pat going to see the doctors or the pharmacists in these places that's a, a certainly important but it is not by any stretch the only place to go to learn about the account what they care about and what they're driving for so it's those three pillars it's the science of healthcare it's the business of healthcare and then it's engagement that we think are the three core pillars that account managers really need to learn and be very adept at again in different degrees based upon the portfolio and the size of the account they're calling on But those three, to me, are the real deal breakers when it comes to being able to navigate and influence an IDN or any complex organization for that matter, but IDNs in particular. You've described here a logical stepwise approach to organizing around IDNs. Are there any examples you can provide us with where a client reorganized and then changed the outcomes they were getting through that relationship? Yeah, a couple come to mind, Lee. There's one where they did a, a new commercial model. This was a number of years ago. 
they were organized around a, a larger sets of teams, multiple teams of, of reps that were calling on these entities. Uh, and they restructured to create a singular role that had basically from clinics and higher in these organizations in the centralized function, primarily in one main piece of the portfolio. So this particular organization has three large pieces of, of different sets of molecules that you can engage with. Two in particular, that are very applicable to IDNs. And so they had one team that carried one large portfolio and another that had another large portfolio. And they had to work together to decide who had the better relationship to decide who was going to take point. So that way there wasn't a, no, we get it all or no, you get it all. They really worked to collaborate and identify who was going to take point. And then each of those teams had uh, specific account managers that called on the individual institutions across that IDN. So there was a single point that had this the uh, centralized responsibility and another set of people that reported not to them. They weren't line leaders. They had a senior leader that was their boss and all the other people reported to them, but they took their strategic direction from that person calling on the C-suite of the IDN. They were aligned by basically disease area. So that way you had a single point of contact where they would then deploy out the reimbursement team or the promotional teams based on the needs of that IDN. How can these arrangements work for companies pursuing a geographic-based strategy? Another organization made a change to more of a geographically aligned footprint where they basically broke up the country into chunks and had a senior person assigned to cover the, the senior leadership of all of the entities within that geography. So it went from IDNs to large unaffiliated provider groups and even the regional payers. So the national payer part of it, if there was a small regional okay. PBM, they would also be included. So it really depended on the geography. And so each chunk of land, if you will, or sets of zip codes, however they wanted to organize it, was unique. And so the, the senior leader of that had point to set the strategy for that entire map and they would then have team members who reported to them who called on the individual entities and would split those up. And then they had team members who called on the different clinics and carried the different portfolios of products. So it was a more of a hierarchical structure in, in the truest of senses, but within a set geography. And it was very diverse and is very diverse in that uh, the accounts can be very different from one geography to the next, I guess, is the best way to put it. So what one looks like would not look like another one. So that made for interesting variability. But those key tenants that I mentioned a minute ago, the science of healthcare, the business of healthcare, and engagement all still ring true. It's just how you deploy them within the different types of entities you're calling on. The second example where they assigning geographic regions for a single IDN was this more traditional approach where the team was assigned a a geography, a set of zip codes, and then they called on everybody regardless of the affiliations or IDNs. It was intended to be centralized around key influential accounts. And so to that end, you can almost imagine where some of these lines are just going around the country and thinking, where are these large systems? And how they break those up was, you know, was very different. Some have three or four very large IDNs in them. Some have one or two. Some have a, a couple, three payers, some have five payers. It varies from one entity to the next. But the idea was it wasn't the traditional manner of just giving up zip codes and, hey, whoever's in here is who you get. They were very thoughtful about who sits where. Let's organize around those, I'll call them hot spots. Let's organize around the hot spots and get teams around these because these are the teams or these are the 
accounts that we believe are most strategic for us to engage. And let's build these teams around them to support them in the best way we can. And in your first example, you'd mentioned coordinating with the C-suite. When you say C-suite, do you mean CEO, CFO, or, you know, who in yeah, the C-suite? Yeah, it's pretty much everybody. And I think that's one of the misnomers. And, and I remember back when I was carrying a bag as an account manager and how there were so many conversations across our teams about getting to the C-suite. And it never really dawned on me to ask, well, what am I going to do when I get there? I mean, what are we going to talk about? Because I'm not going to yep. go promote these three new products that we just launched to the CEO. That makes zero sense. And so I think it's a fair question to ask. And if you can't answer it articulately with something other than to promote my product, then you shouldn't be going. That's the first thing I would say. But the C-suite in these cases were related to much larger initiatives across large portfolios that involved the entire system. So some of it was perhaps on a formulary basis, which wouldn't require the CEO, obviously, but there could certainly be a chief medical officer involved or a chief uh, financial officer, potentially, if there's not a, a vice president or, or director of finance. In most cases, they have one of those. So it's, it's at that level, those types of roles that to me make the most sense for engagement. At what point should a team actually consider approaching a CEO? The CEO, to me, is only in play if you have such a large portfolio that has such large dollar signs next to it that it has a meaningful impact on their entire business. That would, in my mind, mandate a CEO discussion, which, again, speaks back to what kind of person are you putting in that role that has that senior responsibility, and might that not be more of a C-suite to C-suite conversation to happen. If your organization is so big and they use so much of your product, wouldn't it make more sense to have a, a senior leader discussion where instead of having an account manager pull that off? Not to say they can't, because I've seen it done. But to me, that's a really difficult question to answer in that there's not one size that fits all. It's very dependent upon the portfolio. It's not something to run to and then ask, okay, I'm here. Now what do I do? It's like the, you know the dog chasing a car. Okay, I caught the car. Now what? It's kind of the same yeah. idea, right? I, I'm now I'm sitting across from the CEO, and I have no idea what to say. Well, that then speaks to one of those pillars, that business of healthcare that I mentioned earlier, by being able to understand that and what that CEO is really trying to accomplish at his or her level is absolutely mandatory. But then what are you able to commit to other than maybe a follow-up meeting or something beyond with other people from your organization? So again, it depends on what the topics are and, and what level you are when you're going into there. But to me, the, the more meaty ones are the CMO for sure and potentially a CFO because of the contracting and financial impact on some of the portfolios that are in existence. My usual rule of thumb was you had a meeting with a CEO. You either had to have a very large financially attractive deal you were going to offer that manager or you were getting called on the carpet for something and you'd better come prepared when you make it there because of someone referring you or because you've made such a difference in what they're doing, then to me, that's a win. But again, the preparation to get there is huge. And to me, there are many, many other parts of the organization that can take care of those types of discussions in the account side of the organization, not, not your own company. But the director levels, the vice president levels, they should be in position to make those calls and get that done. One thing we teach in our engagement courses, Lee, is this whole idea of using or having the perspective of the goals that are set by the C-suite. 
you don't necessarily have to see the C-suite to, to know them. They publish them if they're publicly traded or they have an annual report or a lot of them are published on websites. So you can really understand what yeah. those are. That gives you that true north or that compass direction that accounts moving. And the idea is to how do you see those trickling down from those top levels down to the through the director levels, through the management levels, through into the clinics? How do you see those contacts you have ready access to making those come to life? So that when they all roll up, they support the C-suite. That's the thought process to me that is missing. We get so focused on our brand and our, our molecules and promoting what it is that can be a patient that we lose sight of what else it might be able to do to help this organization get their goals accomplished. And to me, that's, that's what sets people apart. If they can think beyond the promotional aspect of their job and start thinking, well, what's the impact of this? What outcome am I helping them solve for? And if I can see that, hey, by helping this set of patients get well, that has this impact at the next level up, which has this impact at the next level up. And ultimately, that has this impact at the top line of patient satisfaction scores or certain ratings that they're pursuing or certain cost structures or efficiencies or whatever. And it's all a matter of being able to connect those dots. And to me, that's a game changer for uh, account managers. It sounds as though we're pretty much in agreement that C-suite may be an opportunity, but not necessarily one that should be pursued as a primary approach. So let's get a little more prosaic in just a couple of minutes and talk about how a client might leverage your cons to ensure that a new molecule is included in the formula or the guidelines as soon as possible after launch. It takes a lot of planning up front. Obviously, well before launch and approval, there's work being done through the use of the pipeline presentations and through the medical side of the organization to do clinical reviews with the appropriate pharmacy and medical team members that would be outside of the scope of the account manager per se, but certainly in scope of the overall team that manages that account. So having done all of that homework and getting connected to the right people, there's also the aspect of the financial arrangement. So if there's direct contracting or right. contracting through GPOs or what other mechanism there may be, ensuring that all of those documents and agreements are in place or are prepared to be signed upon the approval is also critical. So working with any colleagues of yours on the internal side that would call on the, the GPOs to see where they are with getting the product added, loaded, uh, any kind of item numbers added to it. Is there any particular part of the adoption process that manufacturers may miss that then slows access following approval? You mentioned another interesting team early on, and that's IT. Having a knowledge of who actually loads these NDC codes into the systems, the EMR, is critical. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, well, it was just approved, but I, I can't get it, says the clinic leader or the nurse or the doctor. And the account manager's like, well, what do you mean? It was just approved at P&T last week. It should be there. Nobody followed up with IT to ensure it was loaded appropriately. So this is where it really takes that full and that full understanding of the flow of the dollar, the flow of the vial. How does it make its way from the dock of our manufacturing facility into the halls of this hospital or into the pantries of this clinic? Being able to articulate all that and understand it and then being able to influence each one of those steps is huge. So it's knowing the full transaction set, really having an appreciation of the timeline that that, that entity is using for their P&T review and what all feeds into it. Again, knowing their business, how they run it, knowing all the stakeholders. So we mentioned IT. We certainly will obviously go with the medical side, whoever the docs are, the medical yeah. directors making insight, the pharmacy team, both the, the anyone running the contract or financial side, 
the clinical reviews, any director that would have a, a yay or a nay on the committee finance, they're certainly going to be involved in some way, shape or form. But having everybody around the table being able to weigh in and you having had the ability to influence indirectly or directly each one of those entities or individuals makes the most sense to me. That way, when it does launch and you get approval and they've reviewed it, it has a favorable outcome and it's in the clinic as soon as it possibly could be and it's in the system and loaded and ready to go. So to me, it's really all that work that goes on literally months in advance of of the launch and the approval right. and then the P&T, which obviously will come thereafter. Michael, thanks for all the guidance and insights you've shared with us. As a quick wrap up, here are three key points for our sponsors to remember. First, there are multiple strategies for organizing around IDNs, but the key success factor is organizing around the customer. No IDN executive is going to be interested in how your company is organized. What they care about is how your approach leads to a relationship that supports them in pursuing their goals. Second, remember drivetrains, three pillars that need to be incorporated in your account planning. Note that these probably require researching providers' public documents and also discussions with insiders. First, the clinical science of health. How your product or portfolio can assist the providers in caring for their patients and how this is consistent with the organization's goals for improving patient outcomes. Second, the business of health. Think deeply about the competitive environment the IDN operates in. What are their business challenges? How have they organized their provider network of clinics and allied practices? Do they have a contracted dispensing network of pharmacies? What's their financial outlook? Third, engagement skills and strategies are critical for account teams. Successful teams develop the ability to strategically plan at the account and the stakeholder levels to effectively navigate and influence an IDN toward achieving mutually beneficial goals and improved patient outcomes. Finally, match your goals and objectives to the right managerial level in the IDN. If you're preparing for a launch, directors and managers in the pharmacy, P&T managers in finance need attention prior to launch. And don't forget the folks in IT who handle information flows into the EMR. CEOs, on the other hand, generally represent a less obvious opportunity. Unless you want to have a discussion around supporting their corporate level strategies and have a senior executive joining the meeting, most of your goals can be better pursued with CMOs, VPs of finance, and mid to lower level managers in the IDN more than likely. Thanks for listening. If you have questions or want to follow up, please email me at lee at proximityhealth.us. 